We've been studying together, haven't we, this verse from Ephesians, Ephesians 6, verse 12. Although we haven't looked at it directly, I wonder if you now understand a little bit about, more about what it means. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them what you think this means? I'm not going to ask for feedback, so you can be as right or as wrong as you think you can be, right? Tell them what you think now, having looked at the series that we've looked at, where we've got up to. What do you think this means? Our battle is not against flesh and blood, what Paul said to the church in Ephesus, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? Okay, well, there's a lot of chat, so that's good. You're either talking about what you did last week or else. Do you feel like, you can answer this one, do you feel like you've got more of a handle on what it's talking about? I'm praying you're going to say yes. Otherwise, we have to start the series all over again. You might not really understand it in its fullness. I'm not sure any of us do particularly, but it kind of starts to make a little bit more sense, hopefully. We've been looking in the Bible. The Bible has two realms. It says we're created in or the world. Everything is created in two realms, the spiritual and the physical realm. And in the spiritual realm, there's this generic title of the Elohim. God is Elohim. The angels, the demons are Elohim. Even our dead spirits, it says, are Elohim. This is the Hebrew title for it. In the spiritual realm, we become Elohim. But God also created a humanity in the physical realm, us. And he said, you know what? I want the spiritual and the physical to meet. And so we went, and in Eden, it's the story, pre-fall Eden is the story where that happens, right? There is a harmony between Adam and Eve, creation, walking with God in the cool of the evening. Right? Just talking, chatting, because there's a perfect harmony and a perfect balance between spiritual and physical. And God said, I want you to do that throughout the whole world. Genesis 1.28, he says, I'm going to bless you so that you can go out and bring that everywhere. Bring that harmony everywhere. I want Eden to be everywhere 
throughout creation. So go and, and become that. The problem was that even though he asked us to be an imager of God, we said no. We said, you know what, God? Firstly, in the spiritual realm, they said no. And there's the stories in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, where Satan said, you know what? I, I want to sit on the throne. I want to be the one giving the orders. And it's the same for us, isn't it? It's the same for us. We sat there and we said, God, yeah, but we want to give the orders. So even though you said don't eat this apple off this tree, we don't care what you said. We want to give the ones giving the orders, not you. We've got a better idea than yours. And so both in the spiritual and the physical realm, we messed up. And there were consequences to that. And what you do when you mess up is you try and cover it up. You said, we're going to do it in our way, not in your way. And in the spiritual realm, in Genesis 6, we have the coming of the Nephilim, where you have the sons of God and the daughters of, of humanity marrying and producing these super race of people saying, we're going to populate the earth, but we're going to populate it with our people, not with the people that you want us to populate with. And in the physical realm... We said to God, no, we're going to build this tower. We like it here. We're going to build a tower where you come down to us, God, when we want you to come down in the place that we're telling you to come down, and you're going to meet with us, and you're going to do what we tell you to do, not the other way around. We know you said go to all the ends of the earth and bring Eden, but no, actually, we kind of like it here in this place called Babel, and, and when you're going to come down here, and we're going to build this tower up to God, where you're going to come to where we are, and we're going to stay here. Thanks very much great idea, but no, you're going to listen to us now. And God said, no, I'm not going to do either of those things. And to Genesis 6, what happened? He sent the, the flood. At least somebody's awake, good. He sent the flood and said, no, I'm not having this, this, this fallen race. That's not my intent. And he saved Noah in the flood, started again, and at Babel, he did what? gave us languages, right? He said, I'm going to confuse their tongues so that they won't understand one another. And, and he, he divided the north of England to the south of England, and they don't understand one another, right? And, and, and all these other languages and everything else, you know? They, go, no, they won't understand, and they were like, what are you talking about? I don't know. So they just went their separate ways. So God kind of said, I'm going to move them and do what I tell them I, you know, they need to do. But God, because of the consequences of that, God said, you know what? Because of my f the free will that I give, because I give both the spiritual realm and the physical realm the ability to obey or disobey, there are consequences. And just as there was consequence for Adam and Eve and they were thrown out the garden and told that they couldn't stay in God's presence anymore, so there was consequences and God said, you know what? I'm going to turn my back on the world. You want the fallen Elohim to, to rule over the world? Then you will. And he said, they're going to set up all over the world, except I'm going to have one nation that's going to be mine, that will be a beacon to the rest of what can be, rather than where you're going. And he said, that place is going to be Israel. And I will build for myself a nation and they will serve me. I will be their God. They will be my people. And everyone will know what could be. And so he built for himself Israel. But as we say, God's plan never changed. Right? God's plan was still that Eden comes 
everywhere. And so what do we, we looked at was that God, the problem with that is that we are, we are left separated from God. So God needed to find some way in which both he could bring someone that could actually be obedient to his plan, so that could actually go and bring Eden like God wants us to bring Eden, but also we're messed up, we're lost, we're separated, and we have no way back. Do you remember when Adam and Eve, they were thrown out the garden, and God said, I'm going to put my seraphim, my cherubim, or whatever, these flaming swords, they're not going to come back. They can't come back because they've sinned. They've gone their own way. And so, so God had to do both. And so he looked around humanity and he said, like, can I find someone that will be true to me? And he went, no, there is no one. They all mess up. Even David, a man after God's own heart. Adulterer, murderer, goodness knows what else. The best that humanity can offer doesn't meet the standard of God. So he said, I'm going to come myself. There's no alternative. And we looked at what God needed to do. While we were still far off, he came and he rescued us. We're like sheep that's gone astray, right? And so Jesus came, God came, not only to show us the pathway of what is possible, what it means, to, what it looks like to bring Eden, but also to come and rescue us from our distance from him and provide a pathway back to us. So he came as a baby, but he came with a purpose to go to the cross. And we said, well, how did he do it? Because the problem that Jesus had, as we said, was that he couldn't come to where we are, right? If I'm Jesus and Andrew over there is a sinner, well, the second part, that's true. The first part is that I'm not really Jesus, but let's, let's just go with it, right? How do I get to where he is without sinning. So this is the predicament that God has. I need to get to Andrew so that I can bring Andrew by the hand back to where I am. That's where he needs to be. But how do I get there without sinning myself? And if I sin, then I'm with Andrew, but then I can't get back because I can't get back to God. I'm just in the same state he's in. So Jesus had to come and he had to get us to pay the price, us to load our sin onto him so that he could take that journey. And we looked at how he did that. On a physical level, he just prodded the religious establishment. Easy to do. You want to tick someone off? Just start criticizing them. Just start showing them a different way, right? People don't like it. And so Jesus did that. He showed them their failings and the way they were abusing, how they weren't measuring up to the standard of what they should be as the leader of Israel. And he also allowed people to follow him. He had this massive following, so they got nervous and they got worried. And they said, if this carries on, everybody's going to him and nobody's coming to us anymore. This has got to change. But he also had to get the spiritual realm to kill him off as well. Now, that was more complicated because the spiritual realm knew who he was. You remember in the Bible, in the Gospels, it says, you know, when he casts out demons, they say, we know who you are. There's no, no question. We know you're the Son of God. And he would just be, zip it, people. You demons, I don't, I don't need your, you telling everybody. 
just be quiet. But they didn't know the plan. They didn't know that he was coming to die. They thought he was coming to reestablish the nation of Israel. He was going to be the second David, the new king, with all this power that Israel was going to come back again, and so on. And so what did Jesus do? And we looked at this last week. Well, he firstly, he went through the temptations where there was a little prod. Then he sent out his disciples and gave them power and sent out the 70 or the 72 and gave them power. And so Satan started to get a little bit nervous because, hey, you know what? My kingdom's starting to be affected here. I can see, I can see where this is heading. They're starting a counteroffensive, and this is not looking good. And then as we looked at last week, there was that direct confrontation on Mount Hermon, the gates of hell. He said, I'm going to build my church right on top of it, like a, like a stopper on top of a bottle. And I'm going to give them power, my church, that whatever they loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever they bind on earth will be bound in heaven. There's nothing you'll be able to do about it because they'll have my power and my authority. And then he went up to the top of the mountain and he said, hey, let me show you what I really like. And he transfigured and so everybody in the, in the spiritual realm saw him for tr who he truly was, as well as Peter, James, and John, right? And they went, my days, he's, he's taking the fight to us. This is not going well, people. We need to get rid of him. And so there on the cross, he said, finally, tetelestai, which means it's finished. Right? It wasn't finished on the resurrection. It was finished at the cross. Why? Because on the cross when he died, that's when he took the journey. When he had our sin and when they crucified him, he took the journey to where us sinners all are. He knew he was be able to walk back the other way. That wasn't a problem. But he needed a way to get to us, which is why he needed our sin. Now, I said something last week that was wrong. And I want to thank the discipleship group afterwards for pointing that out. They questioned something. And then I went away and I looked at it. And we're going to explore it a bit further next week. Last week I said he not only went to give us a choice to come back, right? He came to where the sinners were and he preached to us, those that had gone before, and gave us an opportunity to come back to him. I said last week he also did that for the spiritual realm. That's not true. When the spiritual realm... When those angels that we read about in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 fell, there is no way back. And I'll explain why next week, right? Just a correction. So he didn't die for them. He died for us, for humanity. The spiritual realm that fell, there is no opportunity for return. But for us, there is. I say, well, unpack that next week. Tedalestai, he said, it's finished. And then he said, you know what? Now that, now that I've rescued you, now that I've brought you back, you need to let your light shine. You, you need to go. You need to now, now I've released you for purpose. I've not just released you so that you can come back here and go, oh, that's good, thanks very much. I've released you now to go out into the world and shine. We're going to look at that today.
in more detail, because that's what happened in Acts chapter 2. Now, I had this series nicely planned so that Pentecost would land on Pentecost. But I guess every Sunday is kind of Pentecost, right? So we're going to do it today. You know the story, but let's read it again. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they, came, when they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontius, and Elam, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jew and converts to Judaism, Christians and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They ask one another, what does this mean? Now, we know the story so well, don't we? Pentecost story in Acts chapter 2. But let's just stop for a moment and unpack it a little bit. First, we have to recognize that Pentecost, the, the real essence behind this is the great reversal. We'll come on to what that really means. But let's think about it a minute. Firstly, it starts by telling us that the presence of God was manifested there. It does it in two ways. First, it says, you know what? They were upstairs in this room. Maybe it's the same room that they had the Last Supper in. We're not told. But there they are, all together in this up, upper room. And there, there is a sound like a rushing wind suddenly starts blowing through the room. Now, in the Bible, the rushing wind is always a symbol of the presence of God. In Job 38, do you remember the story of Job? He's there for, for ages, isn't he? Why? Why is this happening to me? God, you better show up. I want you to tell me, why, why is all these bad things happening to me? And what happens? Well, after 38 chapters, you kind of wade your way through of complete drivel, pretty much, right? Of, of people telling him absolute rubbish, trying to come up with reason after reason from, from a human perspective as to why, why he's going through such a hard time. And, and Job is constantly going, no, that's not right. That's just not right. It's not right. God show up, and then it says, suddenly, this violent storm appears, and in the storm is God. And it says it in 38 verse 1, and in 40, I think verse something or the other, 40 verse, one, uh, 40 verse 6, that every time God shows up, it's like this rushing wind, there's this storm. And the second image that we have is of fire. Where do you see fire in the Bible where God shows up? burning bush, right, in Exodus. But also throughout, do you remember where these two come together? Do you remember Elijah? How does he go back up into heaven? Fiery chariot. And what's accompanied by the fiery chariot? Fiery horses and fiery wheels. What else? 
violent wind. It says there was a whirlwind that was formed. And then this chariot. And the fire and the rushing wind come together and Elijah gets in and off he goes. Back up to heaven. It's going to be cool when you get to heaven see the fiery chariot. But it's always a picture, and there's so many others, Ezekiel and other places, where it's a picture of God's presence. So it's really saying here in the, in the Scriptures, Luke is trying to say to us, you know what, there was a real presence, a powerful presence of God came into that room. And what did it do? Well, it, it came like tongues of fire on them. And these tongues... Enabled them to speak in tongues, right? It's saying to us that the God's tool of how he's going to enable the world to be brought back, how we have to go, is through our words. It's through our words that's important. Think back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens. How did he create? He said, boom. Boom. And then the power followed to create. It's through word. It wasn't God just suddenly thought, fancy an earth, think it, boom, done. No, no, he speaks it out. There is power in the word. And God's tool for reclaiming the world was the words of his disciples. And so he's, he spells it out. It comes down in tongues of fire. He enables them to speak in other languages there are tongues and tongues and tongues because it's through the word that the kingdom of God comes. That's why he brings the imagery of the tongue. And what happens? They all hear in their own language. Now think back, what was the consequence of our disobedience? We said it earlier. We built a tower to God and said, God, you come down. And God said, not going to happen, people. Don't do what you want me to do. You do what I tell you to do. And what did he do? Confuse the languages. So he spread us out through different languages. What does he do here in Pentecost? Right? The Spirit comes so that they all hear in their own language. So where there is confusion, and we'll look at this in, in slightly more detail. This is what Luke wants us to understand. Where there is confusion at Babel, there is understanding at Pentecost. Where, where we were on the throne and saying, God, you come down to us. Suddenly at Pentecost, it's like, let's, let's go to the people. Let's, let's tell them. We've got the power to do it. They all heard in their own language. You see, it's a great reversal because it's the undoing of what Babel did. Babel sent us out all over the place, not being able to understand one another. There was confusion. There was misdirection. There was misunderstanding. But at Pentecost, what would they do? They would all hear the message about Jesus Christ in their own language, and then what would they do? They would go back to where they came from with that message and be able to tell their people, you'll never guess. When I went on a holiday to Jerusalem, 
my days. There was these Galilean guys, they're just fishermen. And, and then they, they started speaking in my language and telling me about an amazement about who Jesus Christ is. And now 3,000 people became, because they heard it in their own language, suddenly went back across the globe and said, wow, I need to tell you what happened on my holiday. Forget the pictures. Forget the beach and all that jazz and the nice hotel. No, this is incredible what happened. And they went back and they told everybody. It was an undoing of what Babel had done. God's plan. He undid it. And he undid it. And, and Luke wants us to get hold of this and grasp this. He says, you know what? First he uses Luke's Greek, right? So he uses the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the words here are exactly the same. So in Deuteronomy 32 verse 8 is that passage that we looked at earlier where God said, I'm going to divide the nations under the sons of God, right? Under the fallen Elohim. There's going to be division here. It's the same word where the tongues divided on the people and came down on the disciples. He said the crowd were bewildered or confused in verse 6 when they all heard them speaking. It's the same as the confusion that happened at Babel. It's exactly the same word that they use. Why? Because he kind of wants us to get the picture that God is undoing now that God's plan is now coming to fruition through the coming of the Holy Spirit at the book of Acts. They carried on and they undid, started to undo what we did all those years, all those centuries before in Babel when we said, God, come down to us. And then he lists all these nations and he starts east and he goes west and it covers the same scope as the Genesis 10 list of all the nations in other words it's just a picture here the Luke wants to say like the whole world is here now not every nation is is representing it but it's just a picture of saying you know what those 3,000 those 3,000 we're going to go back to the whole world so that everyone will hear Everyone will begin to understand. So, so it's not just in Israel under this one thing. Suddenly the whole world is going to have a light in it to shine and tell people about who Jesus Christ really is and about the, the message of God. That was the world of their time. And so this whole globe then suddenly starts to have light shining all over it when these people returned. You see, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You see, God, God, I had that one plan. I'm going to bring Eden. I'm going to send my people out. I'm going to firstly rescue them and bring them back to where I am. I'm going to equip them and empower them and send them out. So that the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms across our earth, they're going to have battles on multiple fronts. No longer will they just be looking at Israel. No longer will they fall an Elohim over, you know, the other side of the world. 
in the United States or in Canada or in Australia go, we're miles away from Israel. That doesn't really matter, does it? No chance they're coming to us. No, 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 no. He said, I'm going to send people everywhere. So there will be battles going on everywhere. My people will be everywhere. The question for us is this. Somebody wrote this. They said, if we're not actively trying to complete the task, we aren't doing what we're here on earth to do. If we want God only so he will come to us and meet our needs, then we're more like the people of Babel than we are like Jesus and the Twelve and Paul. You understand what he's saying? You see, the people at Babel were saying, God, you come down, meet me. Meet my needs. Meet me the way I want you to meet me. Do what I want you to do. Come and be the God I want you to be. That, that's, that's what I want you to be. That was Babel. God, like, this is, I need you for this and this and this and this. But at Pentecost, God said, I want you to go. I'm going to empower you, equip you, go and bring Eden everywhere you are. As you're going, make disciples. Pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is up in the heavenly realms in your, in your place. The question we need to ask ourselves is, are we Babel Christians or Pentecost Christians? When I pray, am I praying for God to come and sort me out, come and fix my needs, come and meet my needs, come and sort me, you know, do what I want you to do, God? Or am I praying, Lord, send me? I don't feel equipped. I don't feel ready. I, I don't know what that really means, but Lord, send me. Lord, I want to be a Pentecost kind of Christian that, that goes, that receives from you, but then goes and takes it out to wherever you place me, wherever I go. That's what I want to be. Is Trinity Church a church like Babel? God, please come down and bless us. Lord, we want to just see your presence here in this place. Or is it a church that says, Lord, please send us. Send us out to where you want us to be. Send us out to meet the people you want us to meet. Send us out to do the ministry you want us to do. Lord, I don't really care about, you know, I, I just need to go. I want to go. I want to serve you. I want to, yeah, I need to receive from you for sure. But Lord, once, let me go. Let me go. Let me go and serve you. Which are we? I mean, maybe the truth is we're a bit of both. That sometimes we're a bit more Babel than we are Pentecost, and sometimes we get a little bit spiritual and we become more Pentecost than we are Babel. But I think, I think God wants us just to be one, honest. But secondly, He's looking for Pentecost believers. We might feel completely inequipped. We might feel like we don't really know what it really means. 
But Jesus said, you know, take up your cross every day. Death to yourself. Alive to him. And I'll use you. I'll flow through you. I'll enable you to speak in a language that other people will understand. I'll enable you to do things so that people will be drawn to, your, drawn to him through you. Which are you? Which am I? Am I a Babel or a Pentecost kind of believer? You see, the difficulty is that if we become Pentecost believers, you can expect opposition. Babel believers, it's safe. It's comfortable. It's nice. It's relatively easy. Oh, just come meet my needs. Come sort me out. It's when you become a Pentecost believer, you start ticking off the enemy. It's when you become a Pentecost believer, you start seeing the enemy coming against you. Because they don't like that. And they won't. The gates of hell suddenly become, start to become opened and they start to come out and go, hey, wait a minute. Things are happening here. We need to put a stop to this. And there's opposition. But Jesus says, I'm going to put my church there. They can't overcome it. Nothing can pluck you out of my hand. Nothing can overcome you. Nothing is impossible for God. He can do it all. Yeah, you might have opposition. Look at Paul's life. Stoned, shipwrecked, lashed, beaten, all because he took this seriously. And he said, you know what? I'm a Pentecost believer and I need to go to the ends of the earth and bring the message of Jesus Christ. And yeah, there'll be opposition, but that means I'm doing the job. Because if there isn't, you're not doing the job. No opposition when you're nicely staying where you are. But he said, I will overcome through Jesus Christ, who gives me the strength. Today, I want to ask each one of us. Which are you? Which am I? More important, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a Babel Christian? Or do you want to be a Pentecost Christian? Do you want to just have cold coming down, meeting your needs, doing these kind of things? Won't happen, but do you want that? Is that what you're asking for? Or are you asking him to send you? Do you remember Elijah? Not Elijah, Isaiah. Remember Isaiah when he went up and he met with God? And God said, I want you to go, oh, I'm here, I'm here. Jesus, God, 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 please send me. Send me. I want to go and tell these people. I want to go be your ambassador. Trinity Church is entering a new chapter in its history. But it's a chapter where we need to go into the community around us. 
We need to start being Pentecost believers, not Babel believers. We need to start taking the message because as you take the message as you go, like the disciples, the 12 and the 72 or the 70, as they went, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring transformation and change. You need to ask yourself, do you want to be a part of that? Or do you just want to come and receive? Let's play a piece of music. I just want to have a moment of quiet where we reflect. Because God longs for us. He looks for us. The Spirit of God comes and he looks across the world and he says, where are the people? Where are my Pentecost believers that I can send? Those are the ones I want to empower. Those are the ones I want to flow through. I want to, I can use them. I can flow through them. I can connect to them and they will connect. They will love me and they'll love their neighbor. Those are the ones. Can we play Holy Spirit? No, actually, play as the deer. Is that okay? And as you're doing that, just, just sit quietly and talk to God. And say, Lord, yeah, I may be, I'm, I'm a bit of both. I'm, I'm a babel because I like the security and I like, the, I like what I like. I like comfortableness. I admit it, Lord. But Lord, there is something within me that yearns to be a Pentecost believer. That yearns to be sent by you so that through, through your spirit flowing through me, through your power flowing through me, the words that I say to my friends and my family and people I meet, they may bring transformation. And the, the prayers that I pray will bring real change in people's lives. Your kingdom will come. And I'll be like one of those disciples all those years ago that says, hey, the kingdom of God has come near today. Lord, may I be like that. That's my heart's desire. I long for you. And I long for you to do that work in and through me. Search my heart right now, Lord. Examine me. Know my inmost thoughts. Create that hunger for you. That passion for you and for the community that we live in. That we may be those channels. All for your glory. Stay. 
Straight. 